Hello everybody and welcome to another episode here at the Desert Tiger Podcast. I am your host here on the DTP. My name is Colton G. How are you guys doing today? I am fantastic and I'm about to tell you why. That's because my guest today on this episode is Derek Sharp, current lead singer of The Guess Who. Of course, before we get into my conversation with Derek today, I want to go ahead and thank all of you who went and checked out last week's episode that happened to feature the Juno-nominated Monster Truck. I had a great time talking to the group's bassist and lead singer, John Harvey, all about their latest album, True Rockers. If you guys missed that, you can find it, plus a ton of other great interviews with amazing guests in the DTP archives. The guests who are probably... Who am I fooling, probably? The guests who are one of the biggest bands in Canadian rock and roll history, and Derek Sharp has been fronting the band for over a decade, playing some of the group's most treasured, most classic tracks in front of thousands upon thousands of people. American Woman, No Sugar Tonight, Laughing, No Time, Hand Me Down World, classics that have been passed down from generation to generation of music fans. Along with the rest of the Guess Who, Derek has been allowing people all over the world to relive their memories that these timeless classics have created, as well as create new memories, and that's exactly what the Guess Who is doing. They recently released a new album, their first album since 1995, the first major release, and it is entitled The Future Is What It Used To Be, and Derek is joining me today to talk all about that new album, how the group came to the decision to write new music after so long of playing the classics. We're going to talk about how Rudy Sarzo, that's right, one of the greatest bass players in rock and roll hard rock history, how Rudy ended up coming in to join the band, what he brought to the recording process and everything else, exactly what recording process did they go through. The band tried to recapture as much of the classic Guess Who sound as they possibly could, and I believe that that came through. You're going to hear a couple of the songs here on today's episode, and you're also going to hear about how they went into the studio and went about recapturing that classic Guess Who sound that you all know and love. We are going to be discussing all of this with Derek today, as well as some of the other things that he did in the music industry. He has been playing music professionally for well over 20 years, so there is a lot of history for us to jump into, and of course there is the entire future of the Guess Who, and how the band, as long as they still have Gary Peterson, the group's original drummer, they still plan on putting rubber to the road, playing shows wherever the wind blows, and of course creating new memories for fans worldwide, because the future is what it used to be. Because maybe you were like me, maybe you were like Derek Sharp, staying up late right by that record button on the AM or the FM, waiting for your favorite songs to come playing on the radio.
the Desert Tiger Podcast. We are here with Derek Sharp, current lead singer of The Guest Who. He has played with numerous different musicians all over. How is it going today, Derek? I'm pretty fantastic. How are you? I am fantastic myself. (laughs) Awesome. Of course you are. How can't I complain, man? I'm talking to somebody who's gigging around with the guess who. I mean, at this point, as an interviewer for myself and also as a Canadian, that's that's pretty significant. I love I love how you use the term gigging around because it's such a it's like a term out of another time to me now. This this gigging around thing, you know. I would say with depending on what you're doing and what level you're at, it some people co- will call it touring or <laughs> or <laughs> Or, or what I would, how I would put it would be traveling a lot to play a little bit. <laughs> you get paid to travel. Yeah, you see a lot uh, of and, highway. And it, yeah, and in, and in our band, because we do a lot of one-offs, and we live in all four corners of North America, it takes a bit of uh, juggling to get us into one place. I can only imagine. Right. So it's to do one show, it's three days of nonsense. To have fun for 90 minutes. <laughs> Live in the dream, buddy. Yeah, got, got to make it yeah. just as much worthwhile as you can. Pack as much fun in that 90 minutes as possible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We were talking about earlier where you came from Ontario, what is now Thunder Bay, moved to Toronto. Mm-hmm. So where does the music life start for one Derek Sharp? Uh, well, the short version is uh, I declared to my mother when I was, you know, five or six years old that I was going to, I was going to play music the rest of my life, not knowing how I was going to do it. I just, I think it was you know, the, the music of that time, you know, like the, the Beatles were just breaking up and there was a lot of great music on the radio and, and I was like and we you know we'd go on family trips and songs would come on and I was like I want to do this so when I was 10 I begged them to buy me a guitar they got me a guitar it sat there for about six months and then I figured out how to play it on my own I tried to uh, to learn it by a you know by a book but that didn't work so I looked at the pictures of the of the chords where you put your fingers and I just figured it out from there. So I started when I was 10 and I started playing professionally when I was about 15. And I've been on the road ever since. <laughs> yeah, 15 is um pretty impressive, I would say. I mean, especially coming from like my generation where most people don't even like have a clue as to what they want to do by then. That's a solid point and I agree with you. What's your generation, by the way? Well, I am 28. Oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. So the whole scene that I experienced was long gone by the time you hit it. In other words, if you wanted to be a musician 15 years ago or 10 years ago, it was was a weekend thing pretty much, right? Yes. Okay. So segue to, you know, when I started, uh, you know, my first gig, a paying gig was in a, a wedding band somebody hired me to do it and then of course we had to be old enough to play in the bars and uh, some of us lied and <laughs> <laughs> but the point is is you could play six to seven nights a week if you wanted to you just had to be willing to you know be in a van and stay in shitty band rooms uh, with each other and be in very close quarters for long periods of time but if you were up for it then yeah you, you could play and that's how you really learn how to do it, you know? It's oh. not glamorous. Oh, without a doubt. And at any point starting out normally isn't. You have to earn your chops and get some experience. Yeah. Ah, good thing about being that age, you don't really care. I would have been I would have been happy playing in, in the and I did play in some of the shittiest places you can imagine, you know. But it's good. It's all good. And and it's it's training ground for what's to come. Well, definitely. When when you're that age, sleeping on the floor doesn't nearly affect your your no. back or your 
uh, ego nearly as much as it maybe <laughs> your ego. <later> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're exactly right. Because now you couldn't pay me to do that, mm-hmm. and, and not that I don't want to do it. I just like you know I, I I'm too accustomed to you know the Holiday Inn <laughs> and Westons and whatnot. Right. I eat a bed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. But you know, I'm still here playing music, and I, I always say to my pals that you know, if you just stick it out, you'll be okay. You're going to go through a bit of a roller coaster ride, but those those of us who uh, who don't quit end up uh, coming out the other side. As a young man going forward playing in wedding bands, how how do you get forward in the music industry towards achieving? the dreams you had well, as a five-year-old child. First of all, the wedding band thing only happened a couple of times because okay. that wasn't for me. I, you know, I, I wanted to be in a rock band. And uh, I just, that was my first paying gig. It was a way to make money. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 but generally, I played in a rock bands and we, you know, in a garage band like everybody else. And we'd, we'd write our own songs. and we, we sucked pretty bad, but, you know, everybody learned together. And then, you know, over time... You know, you just you meet people, you 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 hang out and you you network, and and that's how you uh, get your name around. And then all of a sudden, one day, something comes up, and somebody asks you to do this, and it leads you to the next level, to the next level, to the next level. Mm-hmm. Sound right? Oh, mm-hmm. definitely. You know, I mean, everybody has a different version of the story, but I think it's, I think it overall, it's the same. It's the same story. Were you first mm-hmm. touring as a session musician, or were you playing in your own bands? Like once you first started breaking out into the touring and recording scenes. Yeah, I I had my own band, uh, and then we mostly played top forty cover bands, you know, and we'd slip our originals in because that's how you worked. Mm-hmm. You know, I did start doing some sessions when I got a little bit older, into my twenties, but that's a that's a different skill set, you know. But I did stuff like that. But I really, I didn't start touring, you know, on a major scale with profile bands till I was about in, you know, maybe in my mid to late twenties. I sort of I played with Red Rider for a couple of years, and then it led to something else, to something else, to something else. So I, you know, I, I rather than bore you with who I've played with in my whole, yeah. because the the list the list is long. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've been, you know, very fortunate and lucky in in some ways. And but I, you know, I've also, you know, worked worked pretty hard to get to where I was. So uh, and it's been great. And it led me. All of that led me into the Guess Who in two thousand and eight. I guess is where we're going here. Yeah. You know. So, but that by that time, you know, in two thousand and eight, I was what forty, forty. I was older. <laughs> You know, I was in my early 40s, 43 or whatever I was, and somebody had just recommended me, you know, because they were mm-hmm. in a position where they needed a singer. And uh, so there wasn't really any audition process per se. And uh, and I did a few shows thinking it was going to be temporary, and I'm still here almost 11 years later. Mm-hmm. When you got brought in, was there a very long like practice process? Like considering you didn't have much no. like an audition period. No, I, I had five days to prepare and learn all the words, uh, which I did, and memorize their show. They sent me a video of what they did okay. and and some uh, things, and uh, we rehearsed the vocals in the dressing room before the show, and then we went on. Oh wow! <laughs> it was crazy. I mean. It was crazy. I, you know, I'm a runner, so I'd be running every day. You know, it wasn't so much the guitar and the music part. It was learning all the words of the songs that I didn't know. And it, some of them are very wordy. Uh, it was trying to, you know, make sure I'd memorize them. Because when you're out there, you know, the front man in the band, it's not like you can throw up a music stand mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and read or, a, you know, or, or use a teleprompter or something like that, like, like they do on TV, it was just you know, yeah, it was yeah. fun. It, you know, it's kind of nice uh, doing things like that because it's it's exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're scared shitless, and and that doesn't happen very often. Often after you've been playing for a hundred years, you don't get that 
that fear feeling anymore that you used to when you were a kid, you know? So that was kind of nice. Yeah, I can only imagine the, like, that rush and the butterflies that would come back <laughs> after just years of being like, what is this feeling? I know, I know. And then, and then, and the funny thing is, it didn't dawn on me till I had done a few shows that I was mm-hmm. playing with these two guys that were, you know, had been playing since before I was even born, you know, in, yeah. in, in their band. So they were, they were legendary to me. That's actually you know? another thing I have to ask as well is, how did they embrace? Oh, you I don't know. You'd have to ask them, but they probably thought I was some young little snot. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Or I, I'm trying to uh, equate it to the, how I would see somebody 20 years younger than me, which is, I guess, you, right? Mm. You know, even though I don't know you, but the, the, the thing with getting older is there's a lot of life experience that comes with that. And to watch other people go through something that you went through years before is almost like, okay, here we go. Even though it's never the same experience, but that's, that's how you feel. You feel like you've been there and done that. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that they looked at me with a little in that way, a little bit, even though like they, those two guys were, you know, they're musicians in a band. They, they weren't fronting it, you know, because that's a whole other thing, being the, the, the front man of the show. But to be in a legendary band for that long mm-hmm. is, is a rare occurrence. You know, how many bands can you name that have been around 50, 58 years? It's not very yeah. many at all, especially like, no. throughout Canadian rock and roll or, or just music you, you in know, general you, yeah you got the rolling stones and and who else i, I can't even think of one it's you know. really hard to attempt to even think yeah. of one because so many bands have just had those issues or problems and it's it is to have been going from the 60s on like through the earlier name changes in the beginning of the band and are still alive because think about it that's 58 years just being in a band so you you would assume that you were already 18 to 20 years old when you started that add on to that (laughs) the musician's life of touring and eating crappy food and you know and drugs and alcohol and whatnot Mm -hmm. you know you you wonder why a lot of people don't survive it yeah yet in our band there's you know the gary's well i mean gary's the only one left but some of the other members are still out there playing, you know, like Backman, he's out there doing his solo thing, Cummings does his solo thing. You know, a couple of the guys have died. A couple of the guys don't play anymore. I, lo- I look at it like the Guess Who is a Canadian institution. Does that make sense? I actually would agree with that. It makes a lot of sense. Yep. Definitely. You can't pinpoint it. It's not like the Beatles where it was just four people mm-hmm. and that was it. And there was never anybody else they, they have so many different lineups and they've had success with those different lineups. Mm-hmm. So, and, and really when I started, it wasn't something we had entertained because at that point we were, we were just playing the hit, you know, the, the all the songs that everybody knew, but as members changed through my tenure it just became more evident that, you know, as as time went on, that, that maybe this is something we should do because we're now a band now. Mm-hmm. It takes a while for a band to turn into a band. Do you know That's what I true. mean by that? True, you know, you because... can get the best musicians in the world, throw them on a stage, and they won't sound as good as Cheap Trick, who have been together for 40-odd 40, 40 years. You know, because, it, you know, it it takes time to develop into one. No, those personal right? relationships and building yeah. that band relationship takes time. And especially mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. changing members, it sometimes takes time to build and accept that yes. new dynamic. And it's counterproductive when you keep going to different people. And I understand that. And I think that's why a lot of, uh, you know, the, the biggest challenge of being an older man, and I, you could apply this to any of them out there, 
through new membership or whatever for, for whatever reason whatsoever you can't get uh it's it's hard to get that thing going unless you spend enough time doing it and time as you know when you get older is not on your side <laughs> unfortunately not it's you, you seem to think it's going to last forever and then suddenly days yeah. start to go by a lot faster Oh my God! Tell me about it. Like I, you know, when when somebody pointed out that I'd been the longest serving singer in the band as of as of sometime this year, I was like, "You fucking kidding me, really?" You know, and, and you look back, yeah, I guess nobody was in it for more than ten years, wow. and just like that, I'm I'm going on eleven. That's pretty incredible. It almost stands to state that you guys almost had to record an album then. Well, there's a lot of reasons for that, but mainly it was because we felt we had good enough material to do that. And that was the biggest challenge was, first of all, writing songs that could even be in the same sentence as some of those great old songs. And challenge number one is they're great songs. Challenge number two is they've been played five million times on radio and they're ubiquitous in in our society in classic rock. Everybody knows them. Even mm-hmm. if they don't know them, they, they know them, right? So you're starting out, let's say it's you. You put out a record. You're trying to get people to hear it. You put it on Spotify. You know, how long is it going to take before people listen to it enough that you get the same effect, if, if at all? So challenge number one is come up with material that you feel is on the same, is at least sort of in the ballpark, right? Mm-hmm. That said, we purposely wrote and recorded it in a way that it would sound like something out of 40 years ago. That was our agenda. So, by by saying that, do you mean like you used the same equipment that you would have used like 40 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, even my own studio, most of my equipment is vintage because I'm vintage. (laughs) <laughs> you know because so, <laughs> I, so I've had these amps and stuff for years and years and old guitars and, you know but we did record we went into Blackbird Studios in Nashville to record the drums we used vintage kits we did, we did it on a console we did everything we could to kind of simulate if simulates the right word but, but uh, you know or mimic how you would have done it back then only the big difference is, is when you're 20 years old and you're doing a record, you're 20 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, I'm, you know, Rudy, Rudy Sarzo is 60. He's just turned 68. Gary Peterson's uh, 73. You know, I'm in my, you know, almost mid fifties. And you're talking about people that have had a lifetime of experience. So you add that into the mix. If it doesn't sound a little more mature than something's wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. So I found it, I found that we were a lot, you know, because of everybody's experience, it was a lot tighter and a lot more. If there's any modern sound to what we did, it would be because of the experience of the players, even though the music itself, you know, musically and lyrically and, and, and sonically is vintage, you know, in my opinion. Have you listened to it at all? Yes, I have. I actually listened to it this morning when I was walking my dog. Mm-hmm. And what would your assessment be, based on what I just told you? <laughs> it definitely does fit like a lot of that classic feel, but it definitely does feel like a lot more matured. It still has a lot more <laughs> of the same lyrical feelings and vibes behind like the love, like mm-hmm. approaching it and everything else, and the rock and roll lifestyle but it still is like it is a much more matured version of like what you would expect from something like that yeah i mean because you can only do what you can do at the point in your life that you're at and that and that's where we're at but you know and also jim scott mixed it and if you know who he is if mm-hmm. you don't know who he is you can go- you can google him because he's been responsible for almost you know, some of the greatest records of our time. And and that had a huge hand into getting to where we wanted to be sonically. Yeah. With the record. We've been getting pretty much positive, positive reviews about the thing. We've done three videos 
the one video now has been nominated <clears throat> for for four or five independent awards, and we've won two of them, including <laughs> including best actor. <laughs> really, which I just find infinitely amusing because. You know, I'm I'm certainly not an actor, and I'm not going to give up my day job anytime soon. But either way, it was really due to the to the fellow that 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 came up with the video concept and his crew. It, it was an excellent, excellent video, and it deserved it deserved the the awards it got just mainly based on on their efforts. Yeah, you, you know, in my opinion, yeah, the, the people like the song and everything, but. But they did an amazing job. Uh, is that for the video for playing on the radio? Nope. That's for Haunted. Okay. Haunted, it's been getting the most miles. Playing on the radio was the first one we put out back in July, and that was done by Nigel Dick. And if you don't know who he is, he was he basically did all the huge videos in the 80s and, and 90s. Britney Spears and then Guns N' Roses and and he just happened to be in Las Vegas when we were. So we, we shot the video with him, which was a wonderful experience because that guy, you know, has huge, huge credentials. But we put that, that one out first because it just seemed to set up what we were trying to go for. I mean, lyrically, that song, playing on the radio, it was a throwback, you know, and it had such a, a catchy chorus in the opinion of everybody that was making the decision <laughs> that we, we put that out. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't want to lead off with a ballad. But, but with Haunted, instead of a performance-based video, he wanted to do a short film. Yeah. And that's how that turned out. And that's why I think it's been uh, getting these nominations and, and awards for these uh, independent, so far, film festivals. Hmm. That's really cool. I haven't actually watched the video myself. Can you take me through it a bit? Yeah, check it out. I mean, if, I, I guess on the Facebook or website, is there's probably a link to it. It, it he, he the director had a story that, mm-hmm. that that went with the song, which was somewhat accurate to the <laughs> to the to the song itself. However, it was a bit. You know, he had his own version of the story, and I just went with it. Mm-hmm. And he he hired a couple of actors, and it was basically about a young boy who's sitting with his mom reading with her, and he finds out that she's she's sick and she's she's gonna die. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing kind of goes from there. And in the video, the the little boy is playing me, who's the adult version of the of the boy. And in in the video. You see the band playing as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Check it out. It, it's been getting uh, a lot of, what do you guess, hits, streams, whatever. It's getting the most action uh, for us, po- possibly due to the awards and stuff like that. I'm not mm-hmm. sure because I don't follow the statistics. It's just a lot of people talk about it to me. So, you know. All right. I'm definitely going to have to check that out for sure. Yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah. So... The best actor, Derek Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Good God. Don't give up your day job. <laughs> well, I mean, at least you know if somehow music takes a turn for the worst or somehow doesn't pan out even though it totally has, you can totally fall back on your acting credentials, Derek. And of course, I want to ask you a lot more about this new album, The Future Is What It Used To Be. We're going to get into that again right away soon, but we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be playing another track off the album for the listeners here on the podcast. But before we go and do that, I want to go and thank those of you who have went ahead and followed some of our Desert Tiger playlists over on Spotify. We have the Canuck Rock Potluck, and you can actually go and find playing on the radio on that playlist. We also have the Great Rhymed North, which is our rap playlist. We also have two other playlists we're going to be rolling out later this week, so keep your guys 
eyes is open on our social media platforms so that you can know what they're named, know when they drop, know where to find them, and you can go ahead and follow them. And whoa, 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 wait, you're not following Desert Tiger on social media, but don't you guys know that that is the best, the easiest way to stay up to date with what is happening here at the podcast, whether that be new guests, new merch, live shows that I'm going to be promoting, and I actually am hoping to live stream some of those shows to Twitch later on this year, so you know that the first place that you guys are going to find out about that is the Desert Tiger social media, because the episodes only drop on Thursdays, so if you guys want to be in the loop before that, head over to our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram, give us a follow, send me a message saying how much you love the show, maybe pick up a Desert Tiger shirt, because that is the super extra way that you can support the show. I am working on a Patreon right now for those of you who want to support the show that extra little mile but for right now if you want to go ahead and rep the desert tiger podcast up and down the street with everybody that you meet you can go ahead and pick up a t-shirt i would be forever in your debt and we'll either phone call you or write you a personal hand note with some lovely stickers stuffed inside there as well And of course, if you want to, you can go ahead and do the free thing, which is share your favorite episode. Maybe it's this episode right here that you're listening to right now on your pages with your family and your friends because you don't know how much it helps this show grow. And maybe this is your favorite episode. Maybe listening to Derek talk about playing all these classic Guess Who songs is starting to bring back some memories of when we were young.
the Desert Tiger Podcast. At what point did you guys decide you wanted to start writing the new album? Was this something that began during the process during your 10 years, or was this something that happened more recently? Well, it kind of goes in two parts. Gary Peterson is an avid music fan. He, at, at 73 years old, he still listens to music all the time. So that's that said, sometimes him and I'd sit around, you know, just listen to music we liked or whatever. And he had heard one of my songs that I'd done previously, and he said, you know, we should, we should, we should maybe do this song. And I said, you know, well, why don't we just try and, you know, write ones with, with the band in mind? So, of course, I was always a little leery of, of presenting something that, that wasn't going to be great. So I worked at it for a while, and I came up with playing on the radio. Mm-hmm. That's how the whole thing started. And it sat, the song sat around for a little while because, you know, getting us to record, you know, when, you, when you're not living in the same place, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge, and it's expensive. So I, wrote, I ended up writing, I think, three or four songs, and we, and we started to rehearse three of them. And we recorded a version of them, and then as time went on, a couple of members changed and you know it wasn't really it wasn't really uh we didn't really have any focus yet right so that all changed when we got uh will in the band uh who was recommended to me uh from tommy shaw because he had worked with uh with shaw blades and on tommy tommy's you know who tommy shaw is right yes Okay, so um, I'm just making sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course, of course. So, and he and Will had produced the Bluegrass record, and I was I was vaguely aware of him just because of my friendship with uh, Tommy. When we got him in the band, we now we had another producer, writer, engineer guy like me. So it wasn't just me working at it. And him and I, you know, wrote a couple of songs together, and it started to be. You know, this is this is kind of cool, and it just kind of went from there. And it, you know, it took us about a year or two before before we had enough material so we could go, okay, we got enough for a record now. You know, should we make a record? You know, and then we decided, yeah, we have enough good songs. Now we had about twenty songs. We pared it, pared it down to ten. So we had to, at that point we came up with, okay, if we put out a record. What are we going to do? Are we going to put out some modern thing, you know, like everybody else does? I mean, we didn't want to sound like Nickelback <laughs> or, or one of those bands. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it'd be funny with a bunch of older guys do, doing that stuff, right? Yeah. So what, and, what, and the other thing is, what would fit into the show we do now, stylistically? And one of the one of the great things about the songs we chose is is half the time when we play them we play three or four in the, in the set uh, before the record came out anyways people would thought they were part of they were old songs anyway <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean because, mm-hmm. because they didn't know any better because it sounded like yeah that could have been that could have been something from from uh, you know long ago mm-hmm. now of course now that the record's out the you know the the fans know the difference. But the, the the final piece in the puzzle for me though is when Rudy joined Ru- Rudy Sarzo. Yeah, because what what Rudy brought was first of all he's his he's a legend in 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 that world because just based on his his work with uh, you know Ozzy Quiet Riot White Snake and the list goes on and on. So having somebody of that caliber in your band and and he brought such a huge huge lift to the live show and his playing it was let's put it this way when he joined we were like this is it mm-hmm. this this is the this this is the band that we were, we're going to go forward with it was you know and jim had decided to retire which is the reason uh rudy got in the band in the first place okay right so and one of the reasons jim decided to retire is because he was just it was just getting too hard on him the travel, the exhaustion of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he probably would have loved to, to do the playing part, but he's 75 years old. And, uh, you know, let's put it this way. I get home sometimes and I feel like a truck hit me and it takes me a few days to, <laughs> to recover. So I can't mm-hmm. even imagine what it's like for those guys. Right? 
Yeah, I mean, for Gary and Rudy, they've got to be like pretty much built for this type well, of life at this point. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and Leonard, Leonard's 65. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, you know, it, nobody's that young. I mean, Will's the youngest. He's the only one in his 40s. But, you know, still, it's that kind of travel for anybody is hard. So when your joints start, you know, yelling back at you, <laughs> it just gets a bit harder, you know. Oh, easily. Yeah. So, but that's what I would say. You know, now that we had Rudy, we everybody just knew that this was the way to go. After that final piece, like, joined in 2016, you guys, it just clicked, and you guys, like, all right, now we got to get into the studio, and now we can... Well, no, we had, we had already recorded some of the songs before okay. Rudy joined. Yeah. Because we had decided to make the record, but it was when Rudy joined that we knew that it was the right thing. What happened is, before Rudy's name come up came up, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Devon was was subbing in, and if you, I don't know if you know him, but he's the bass player for Whitesnake. Okay, and and he was a friend. So he came and did some shows, so he flew in to play some of the bass parts at Blackbird. So he's on he's on about you know five or six of the cuts. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just after that that Rudy's, because we knew that Michael wasn't going to be in the band because he's already in another band. And, and it was just after that Rudy's name came up and we asked him to be in the band and he accepted. And, we, and luckily we still had a few songs left to record. Mm-hmm. So he, he, he was on the record. But it was evident from the first show he played that this was the band. I, I guess that's my point. Okay. You know, it's an unspoken mm-hmm. thing, but you know when you get five people on the stage mm-hmm. and you just feel like it's butter. You trust them implicitly. You you know after a while what everybody's going to do, you stay out of each other's way <laughs> and you make you make a show together. Once Rudy had came in, you guys still had a few songs to record. How much of a hand did he have in the process of those songs and did those songs change once he became a piece of them they changed in the way of his style of playing the instrument the drums had already been recorded okay and and what would happen is when will and i did our demos i would probably one of us would play bass or just kind of a sketch Mm -hmm. bass part just to outline the idea of the you know just to get your idea across yeah but of course, when when Rudy played his own thing, it wouldn't have been what I would have done or what Will would have done. He's a real bass player, and he's got his own style. So that that injected itself into the music. His tone. I I have a feeling like when we were young may have been one of those songs because I have a feeling like it's his tone really comes through in that. Well, it's interesting because you know the tone. The tone has has a bit to do with Jim Scott, the, the mixer, as well, mm. because Jim really tried to. Uh, well, Jim, he didn't try to do anything. He just did what he's good at, and that's vintage mixing. He he doesn't do recall. He mixes things, you know, old school. But I don't think Rudy played on that song. I'm pretty sure that was Michael when we were young. Oh wow! But both of those guys are from the heavy rock world. So that's probably what you, it's the style of playing that they do. You know, they're both in heavy rock bands, right? Whereas the Guess Who, you know, in its day was more of a pop act. Yes, it definitely was. You know, well, you know, maybe not in an album track way, but if mm-hmm. all the songs that everybody knows, you know, like Laughing Undone, you know, those songs, there's songs you would have heard on AM radio as opposed to FM, right? So I would say the songs that we put out for the most part, maybe would be a little more on the on the, on the FM side, but they're still they're still poppy. I mean, to me, it's it's subjective. It's it's a matter of opinion. You, you may think one thing, and I'll think another. You know, because I don't really know. Oh, and who really does? Yeah, exactly. Well, anyone who says they do clearly has no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> I'm happy awesome. to say it. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, okay, no problem. Getting the album together, mixing it, processing it, like once you guys actually have it in your hand as a band, you guys are ready, how do you go about actually putting the release out and everything? Because this is 
the first Guess Who album, actual Guess Who album, in since what ninety five? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, and it's the first major release in thirty years or twenty five years or something. Yeah, because there's been a couple of independents uh, along the way, but this is the first major release. But if you notice, we were very careful, even with the album cover. I remember Gary and I looking at these old shots because you know I have I have a pretty old album collection at home and looking at old album covers like the Ventures and stuff like that where the bands were always in action on the cover. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes. Most records that came out back then were always an action shot of the singer singing or the band jumping up and down or whatever whatever they were doing, mm-hmm. which is why we did that. The cover shot ended up being a still from the playing on the radio video. That was the intent. Mm-hmm. So right, everything down to the to the last detail was was kind of a vintage thing. Uh, we got we had these two guys, Peter Wark and Ron Stone, Gold Mountain, that were working with us that helped promote. They secured the record deal with Cleopatra, and they set up the whole campaign. So we had third party help getting all that stuff off the ground hmm. because we're musicians and you know we we don't really know what to do i knew peter previously and i knew he was pretty dialed in with things so uh, when he came to the table it was it was really helpful in getting to that part okay mm-hmm. awesome well it's always good to have somebody to handle paperwork organizational side of things because oh for sure and the thing with peters he's younger he's he was you know he was in his late 30s at the time you know and he's got a more of a grasp on on how the music business works now where the rest of us you know even myself Mm -hmm. I, i know how it works i've put out quite a few records in the last 10 years with various people i know how it works Mm -hmm. but i but i still have one foot in the old paradigm, which I know logically it doesn't exist, but it's hard to break out of that. You know what I mean? It's hard to get into that headspace of there's no radio. There's no record companies really not in the way there were when, when I started, mm-hmm. you know, no, nobody's financing anything. You have to do all the work yourself. Even when you sign with a label. Oh yeah. No, they can help with, a and R and yeah. PR and stuff, but even then, like some a lot of the time, it's yeah. you're funding a lot of the recording for videos sure. and everything. Yeah, and you're else. doing crowdfunding. You're doing crowdfunding and whatever it takes to get to where you want to go. But you need, you know, you have to have kind of a fresh perspective on things to be able to do that. So yeah, that was very helpful. We were lucky to have. Uh, you know, people like that in our corner mm-hmm. to 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 bring those things to light, and like I said, uh, and and then to get to work with Nigel Dick and and these other people and Jim Scott and and Richard Dodd who mastered the record, all these legendary people. It was just mm-hmm. it was you know it was a wonderful experience from top to bottom from that perspective for sure. Was there any challenges or difficulties with the recording and releasing of the album, given? the state of the music industry currently sure of course i I think but i think anybody can say that the the challenge is is having people or or, sorry creating an awareness when you're a needle in this giant haystack Mm -hmm. now i mean it was like that before but to me it's even more so now because you put your song up on spotify or apple music and there's gazillions of new releases every week if you've noticed so what makes you so special (laughs) you know what i mean for us we had to just build it on our strengths one is that we play to a lot of people every year so there's a live component and there's people that come to see us play right Mm -hmm. you have those people and you'll sell your product you know at the shows so they're aware of it and, and through social media and this and that. But, you know, to me, it's essential to build a new audience every time you attempt this because that's, that's the key to longevity. If you just play, you know, to the same people of your vintage, 
then eventually they're going to be too old to go and see you. <laughs> just, just like the musicians. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's surprising how many, how many young people actually come and see us play. I don't, I don't have an explanation for that, but, but that's the idea. And to me, the, the pr- promoting something new re- involves thinking outside of the box. And I know that sounds cliche and I don't even know how to explain that, <laughs> but it's definitely a big factor in how you're going to pr- present anything new th- uh, th- in this day and age. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look like other bands doing it, like they're coming out with their own tequila and, and stuff like that, everybody's looking for different ways of being noticed. Yeah, it's definitely true. Is they're always trying to figure out some way of grabbing someone's attention that other yeah. people haven't gotten around to yet. Yeah, but at the end of the day, there's just these are just some songs that we like and we hope people enjoy, and they'll come out to see us and expect to hear those songs. And mm-hmm. that, to a certain degree, has already been achieved. Well, that's fantastic right? to hear, especially for a band so, that has been around for this long. Yeah, like as you know, we we go out and sign autographs after the shows sometimes, just based on the feedback that we've gotten so far. Is, is most people are aware of it. So that's mm-hmm. that's challenge number one. You know, some of them some of them are even singing along with the songs already, which is challenge number two. You know, so and you just you just keep going. You build it one show at a time. You know, that's that's all you can do. I know that you guys just released this album. There's probably some more mm-hmm. tour dates ahead and everything else, but what does the future yep. hold for the guess who beyond? this new album more i guess that would be the the simplest answer i mean the, the touring aspect we, we we never stop it, it hasn't stopped since i joined and it's not about to stop anytime soon mm-hmm. you know we still we still play to however many people a year you know i don't even know the number but it's got to be in the half a million range i would suppose you know, uh, depending on if we do a, a tour or not, or we're promoting this, we're promoting that, we do at least 40 shows, you know, in, in, in a year. It's just this ongoing thing. So I guess the next step for this band would be just to keep going. Mm-hmm. You know, we already, like, don't forget, Will and I are both always, we're, we're constantly writing new songs because we're songwriters, e- even for other people. So, we don't really have a shortage of material now whether it's the right material is obviously a concern but at this point now that we've done this record and we got it out of the way and we and we you know there were and there were quite a few challenges with it of course because we were going into new territory i think we have a bit of a better idea how to approach it if we want to do it again so it would it would go a lot faster so so i guess the answer you're looking for is if we did another record it would happen sooner than later all right, awesome to you hear. Know. But the next year really is about this one. So, yes. so that's what we'll be touring on for for 2019. We'll be we'll be on the strength of the future is what it used to be. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Hopefully, I can catch you guys somewhere in support of the album. That would be awesome. I agree with that. All right, I think I have <laughs> one more question for you. No worries. All right, so I've got a little bit of a background here on the song playing on the radio. So as mm-hmm. someone who grew up in the age, like the strength of radio and the AM yeah. and the FM and everything else, you've said you'd tune in just to hear the songs over and over again and like the characters in the song could be like any one of you. Is someone who grew up probably listening the guess who on the radio how much were they inspiring you and how much like were those tunes mean to you growing up that's a that's a great question uh but very difficult to answer because and i've been asked this question before yes uh those songs are just part of the fabric of canadian radio so i would have had to live under a rock (laughs) not not to know them yeah number one Okay, but uh, the at the age I was at when those when the, you know when those songs were you know I was in my 
you know, I was a young, a young guy approaching into my teenage years. You know, I loved so much music. I didn't really have one influence because it was all the same to me. Yes. So I can't, so where I can't say, you know, I was, I grew up, you know, like I was, in, you know, the, the, the guess who inspired me, it was the music certainly would have, but in a more global sense. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, I don't really have a favorite band. I loved the Beatles, of course, but everybody mm-hmm. did because they were the exception to the rule. How can't you? <gasps> yeah, how can't you? But then again, you know, how do you rate these other bands, including the Guess Who? To me, you know, we're still listening to these songs 50 years later. They've, they've stood the test of time, as with the Rolling Stones, you know, as with bands like Steely Dan, if you want to get into that, that kind of thing. Or, or, I mean, I could go on and on and on, mm-hmm. obviously. And to me, Rudy puts it best. He said, we're the last bastion of this of this classic rock you know era the last people that were there when it happened per se this this old paradigm which is why he wrote his book i don't want to get too off topic here but which is why he wrote his book and and told the story of his experience with randy rhodes because people ask him about it all the time Mm -hmm. and once you know rudy's like once i'm gone you know, there'll, there'll be nobody left to tell the story. And I think that's important to say here that the the current band, basically, you know, once Gary's gone, that'll be it. Yeah. That'll be it. That'll be it. Then the, then the next, then the, then the next generation will be, will be the rest of us who, who's ever left to the point where, you know, once it's gone, it's gone. You know, so I think it's it's wonderful that a lot of these old bands are still out there playing. Because, you know, we play with them all the time, and I could list them all. Like, you know, these guys trotting out there in the 70s, and some of them are in better shape than young people, you know, the serious ones. But if you could just, you know, take a second and look at the people's faces when they're listening to this timeless music, you would understand why we keep doing it you know it makes people happy yes end of story just the emotions and what does music remind you of it's the soundtrack to your life and the guess who catalog or a lot of these songs are the soundtrack to those people's lives whether it's yours or just the memories you know what i mean And, and you know the music that you listen to you know, creates your own memory, whoever that is. Who is who? Who would be one of your favorite bands? You got oh wow. Um, I think Iron Maiden. Hard question, is, isn't it? Iron Maiden is like the number one. Number one. That's just like my easy answer. Number one. But yes, it's a wow, super really? hard question. That's a good answer, though, because those guys are are. I I would rate them very high on the list, especially in the in the hard rock. And I I actually saw them back in the day. I can I can confirm that they were they were one of the greatest live act you've ever seen. Well, I you know I got to see them almost ten years ago, and even then, still exactly amazing. Exactly. So what does that tell you? That's what I mean. These guys know what they're doing, and I'm not being egotistical egotistical at all by saying that it's just life experience these guys know what to do they've done it thousands and thousands and thousands of times as mm-hmm. of, as of the rest of us why wouldn't you want to go see that and listen to some music that's you're somewhat familiar with but just a good band nobody's staring at the floor <laughs> <laughs> people <laughs> you know we're, we're reacting with the audience it's, it's, it's an experience Live music is one of the few things left that you just can't replicate on the internet. Yeah, that's... I love that. You have to... I mean, you have to agree that watching a video of a band on YouTube is not even in the same sentence as going to a show. Not not even close. No, exactly. And in some ways, to me... YouTube videos almost taint the experience because it makes it seem 
like it's less than it really is. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's it yeah. doesn't nearly capture the energy of the yeah. audience or the room or anything. Exactly. Not to mention the sound and the people around you and the vibe. You know, you're sitting in your living room looking at a video on your phone. I mean, how can you compare that to this to this big experience? So I would say, you know, get out and see more live shows. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree. <laughs> turn off your turn off your phone and go out and see a show. You won't regret it. <laughs> Netflix will still be there. <laughs> They'll still be there in the morning, yeah. <laughs> or or when you get home when you're hungover and you're and you're and you're three fingers in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Needing to unwind a little bit and the room's spinning. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> It'll still be there for you. Yeah. <laughs> this, this has been a fantastic conversation, Derek. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. I just, I just, um, you know, I'm trying to download things as you're asking. I, I just, I did my best. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your journey with me. Oh, no problem. It's my pleasure. I hope to speak to you again sometime. I hope so as well. And with that being said, there has been a lot of laughing here in this episode. So before things become undone and these eyes begin to cry and I look like a dancing fool, I want to go ahead and thank Derek Sharp for joining me here on this week's episode of the show and sharing all the information behind the Guess Who's new album, The Future Is What It Used To Be. I also want to go ahead and thank EA, Mr. Eric, for going ahead and setting this interview up. You guys have heard me drop the name before. The man has given us tons of great episodes in the past, and we are forever thankful to one EA for doing that. And I also want to go ahead and thank you guys the listeners of the Desert Tiger Podcast for tuning in to this episode. Hopefully you guys can catch the guests who supporting their new album live somewhere it's close to you so that hopefully you won't be caught running back to Saskatoon in order to share the land with the fellow concert goers and all of those bus riders that you had to travel with in order to get there. So go ahead, give yourself a big round of applause and clap for the Wolfman. If you guys enjoyed this episode of the podcast, it would make me ecstatic. If you went ahead and rated or reviewed the show on iTunes or even shared this episode on your social media with your friends and your family, because like I said earlier, that really actually does help this show grow like exponentially. So thank you to all of you that do that. Next week on the show, my guest is going to be like a motorcycle. I know I said that they were going to be on the show a long time ago, but it is finally happening next Thursday, like a motorcycle, right here on the Desert Tiger Podcast. I will see you here. So until then, have yourself a fantastic time.